Welcome to Fraggle Shrug, the podcast where we read Atlas Shrug, the classic libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ayn Rand, and watch episodes of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And why do we do this, you ask? Well, of course, to discover all the deep hidden connections between the two that we are absolutely convinced are there. My name is Henrik, and joining me as always is my co-host Siegfried. Welcome, Siegfried. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, welcome to this insane podcast we have arrived at chapter six this time yes we have 150 pages into the book and if you are keeping track that is seven millimeters out of four centimeters and by by the end of this chapter we are an eighth into the audiobook so we're almost home yeah home stretch home stretch <laughs> almost over <laughs> are, you, are you dead yet has it uh, murdered you I, I, for me, it goes in waves. So I, I think actually this uh, chapter was somewhat enjoyable because it has mm. it has some pretty good highs, yeah, some pretty low lows as always. But um, I'm I'm managing uh, at this point, I would say. Yeah, it, it comes in waves for me as well. Sometimes I'm when I'm reading this, I'm just tortured or just shouting at the book to to cut it out. And sometimes it's gut busting, hilarious, and sometimes it's just boring mm -hmm. but this chapter at least doesn't have a lot of uh, useless plot it's mostly uh, weird conversations about people that are reacting completely wrong yep. and and the drama oh yeah there's also a good amount of drama in this episode and i uh, i was there for the drama this is a soap opera dagny is a living soap opera <laughs> such a drama queen oh yeah and we have a good fraggle to match i think mm-hmm that's uh that's some some heavy stuff going on there not to uh get too much of ahead of ourselves but uh yeah it's uh gets very deep into economic theory this time yes both of them both of them indeed yeah and one of them know what they're talking about <laughs> yeah and you can already start to guess which one's which mm. Yeah. So, should we just get into the summaries real quickly? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, I'll be doing the Atlas Rock this time. Yeah, and I would just like to uh, to start that off with a one-quote summary of the thing. Yes. Plot is a primitive vulgarity in literature. And this is said by the character Balf. <laughs> oh, yes, we'll get to Balf. Oh. He's a, he's a favorite. He is he's certainly a favorite of mine. Already at this point. And all he does is spout wisdom like this. Balf is my MVP. So basically the, the entire episode is about Hank Ridden and his wife Lillian hoisting a party. It's the anniversary party, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it is also so far basically the height of the story because every single character we have met shows up in this party mostly eddie willis doesn't show up which disappointed me yeah yeah maybe he'll show up later but at this party he was missing yeah. unfortunately and of course hank Reardon throws a party with his wife because he hates parties hmm. he attends this more out of the fact that he has to uh we found out relatively early that he actually forgot the party it seems yeah during the course of his 18 hour work days he uh 
the party slipped his mind somewhere. And I, I, I love how Hank here tries to frame himself as like this victim. Oh, but I have this <laughs> long working day and I have to come home and then I actually have to remember my fucking anniversary. <laughs> oh, it's so sad for me. And it's like, no, no, maybe you shouldn't work 18 hours a day. <laughs> well, he has to do one thing for his wife. One thing. That's more than you can ask of any man. Exactly. And he actually he, he acknowledges this himself. That that she should hate him. Yeah, he's an asshole, but he's a, a little bit self-aware, which is... At least consistent. Yeah. He's like, oh, she should leave me, and I should have left her a long time ago. Then f fucking say something, you asshole. Yeah, we, we spent an entire final scene of the chapter just... Uh, him repeating to himself why did she marry me oh yeah and his his like his whole way he talks about entering her fucking bed oh yeah oh the, it's so fucking disgusting i think i think we've got some material for the wokeness section oh yes we do because uh, he doesn't like to be with his wife that's for sure no and she doesn't either like it's it's mutual they hate each other mm. so uh, of course he hates this party he hates his wife he hates everyone so he attends um and his wife has invited a lot of people who he also hates because they say reasonable things exactly uh, like this balf character <laughs> he just balf. he just spouts truth throughout the entire thing like he is the, he's the one with the with a quote called plot is a primitive vulgarity in literature the summary of the book yes And I just love his ideas, how they are expressed in this. Like, for example, he is he's a little-known writer who sells in very limited numbers. Um, and he actually has this idea that literature would be better if everyone was forced to not make money off of literature. So every single book should only be published in 10,000 like, pieces. And I love, I love that idea. It's like radical, but at the same time, Yeah, he has something going. Yeah, I mean, his uh, his big thought is we need a national subsidy for literature. It is disgraceful that artists are treated like peddlers and that artworks have to be sold like soap. Yeah. And what an evil man. What unreasonable <laughs> way of thinking. What unreasonable thing. It's almost as if the arts council we have going in Denmark already is the idea he's just proposing. But yeah. That, that, But Denmark clearly isn't working. <laughs> no, 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 it isn't. Like it, it isn't supporting small artists and actually supporting the fact that we now can publish a wide variety of literature that can't stand on its own economic legs. It would all be much better if art had to survive by sponsorships from uh, Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Yeah, I could see. And again, in our own little pond, like if just every single book was just UCL Olsen, that way it would be much better, right? I have not read any of his. I'm, I'm way too, uh, too highbrow intellectual uh, for that. I stick to my Ayn Rand, so please and thank you. Please and thank you. Oh, yeah, if every single book was Ayn Rand. <laughs> the world would be a better place. Oh, indeed it would. Uh, at least a better place. I, and I love, I love how many stabs Ayn Rand takes at literature while, herself, <laughs> while, while she herself has written this like, flawed masterpiece. Let's just call it that. Yeah. So, so that's basically the, like, basically the entire chapter takes place at this party. And we learn various new things, uh, including that there's a crazy Viking pirate. Oh, yes. This, this is the, the big thing for me. H how are we only learning this now? 
that there's a crazy Viking pirate roving the high seas and robbing Delaware Bay for some reason. And these aristocratic people, they just mention it casually, like, oh, what, yeah. a, what an atrocity these pirates are roaming the seas. Like, what? How is the book not about him? <laughs> exactly. You can't introduce a character like that on page 140. This is, I mean, he's the most interesting thing so far by way much mm-hmm. and and they tried they tried capturing him in the people's state of norway <laughs> yeah and we just get we're, these inklings of a much more interesting story yeah we're like why are we reading this fucking piece of shit i want to read about the badass pirate yeah i mean this is like making a superman movie that's only about his side hustle at a newspaper <laughs> we've got to edit this article by five o'clock though there might be a typo by the way superman exists <laughs> spell checking yes Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And we also find out, just casually, that John Galt maybe have discovered Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, this this book is going off the rails, and I love it. It's Now we are entering the territory with crazy Viking pirates and Atlantis, and we are still discussing economics. Yes, and, and in a non-sane matter. I would say, like, the way they're talking about economics is less sane than the way they're talking about pirates. Yeah. It's more believable that someone would believe in pirates and fucking Atlantis than yeah, this piece of shit. Yeah, um, this, this is a quote. But how are we going to have any order or security or planning in the world with a pirate running loose all over the seven seas? And apparently Ragnar Daneskjöl, as he's called, this Norwegian pirate from a high society family, is, um, quote, has the purest gold hair and the most frightening face on earth, a face with no sign of any feeling. If there ever was a man born without a heart, he is it. But isn't he the real Viking pirate that actually existed in history? Was the one in the 50s. I, I don't. I don't think he was in the fifties. Like he was in the Viking Age. There was a Viking called Ragnar. The whole TV sh- uh, series called Vikings is about Ragnar, the Danish Viking. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay, is, but is, it, is is it just uh, transplanted from history? I think it is. I think she just read about this like Viking dude. Wait, is that a time travel plot just hanging around in the edges of the story? It must be because he he existed in the Viking Age. Oh my God. We have we have now included time travel Vikings and Greek myths as uh, as facts in this world. And this is this is the text in this book. This is not us reading uh, fractals into it. This is just what happens. No, 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 it's the plain text. But nothing, nothing compares to the drama that ensues when because uh, I think we talked about the fact that Hang Reardon in an in a previous episode and in a previous chapter mm. made this bracelet to his wife. Oh yes. This bracelet made uh, the first like drop of Reardon metal is this bracelet. And I I don't think I we talked about it but how how did he make a fine little bracelet in his big industrial setting? Oh. Yeah, we 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 it, don't get to hear that. But he, apparently he took maybe he took some droplets of the metal. We sure. don't know, but but apparently he he managed to make a somewhat fine looking bracelet. So what the wife did, because she found it laughable and dumb, this bracelet of this non-pure metal. So she apparently, especially for this party, has had it encrusted with diamonds or something like that. Oh, no, no. She just wore tons of diamonds. And this. Oh, she, on top of it. 
No, just she had like diamond necklaces and then this um, this clunky, uh, cheap-looking <laughs> piece of jewelry on her arm because her husband gave it to her and she loves her husband, kind of. Oh yeah, that was the thing because he was really sad that it made it look like a fucking cheap thing. Yeah, maybe because it it looks like that. <laughs> I don't think the diamonds <laughs> are doing that. See, it probably does, but but still, I think it has like huge sentimental value at least. Like I, yeah. I can I can appreciate the gesture so what happens is that this wife actually goes around the party and says like to anyone who wants to trade their bracelet for this bracelet she would be up for it and of course Daphne, in all her dramatic grandeur walks into the room and trades a diamond studded uh, bracelet with this uh, bracelet also because she is uh, madly in love with Hank Ritten. oh yeah and she's a uh completely uh, on board for that missile she's uh, she is oh she's on board for it all but i love the power play of just walking up to the wife and fucking claiming that bracelet that has sentimental value to the husband see that's a fucking power move and i have to acknowledge that yeah that's that's for you all the social grace and uh, this is just social grace as a sledgehammer like fuck yes i i was living for that drama i found that to be quite fun <laughs> but we actually find out what the problem is with Dagny I think Dagny doesn't drink oh I mean get a drink or two in the girl and I mean she'd be laid back and chill and all uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think my, that goes straight into the woke segment yeah I mean my point here is alcohol solves problems mm-hmm. and if she would just have a drink and if Hank would just have a drink they would just calm the fuck down no, no, because they have to, at these parties, be melodramatic oh, yeah. about the way of hating to be, I hate being at these parties. Then go home. You don't have to be, it's your own fucking party. Then don't have a party, you dumb fuck. And, and Dagny is just spending the entire party just going around and eavesdropping on conversations and meddling in FAS. Exactly, <laughs> just moping. Yeah. Go home. But no, no, you have to like meddle in conversations and relationships. That's how she rolls. <laughs> she's not good at parties. <laughs> or she's perfect at parties. Yeah, depends on the kind of party you want. Exactly. So that, that is basically the entire chapter, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about uh, you can get into. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we should keep going. We, uh, let's say, okay, so we can go for the summation of the Fraggle episode and then we make, maybe we can get back into some of the meat of the chapter. Yeah, we can just uh, skip around. So, time for some Fraggles. Yes. And should I do the one quote summary here? Go ahead. It is not easy to understand other people's problems but it's very easy to think you do Moki. That's basically it. This episode is called uh, The Preachification of Convincing John. Mm-hmm. And this is the Moki episode we have been waiting for. Finally. Finally, a girl Moki gets some attention. We learn a lot about her this time around. She's an artist, she keeps a diary, and she has a very strong social conscience. Because she's been watching these little deuces, and if you remember the deuces, they are the little construction fellows going around building towers and bridges all over Fraggle Rock that the Fraggles are just eating all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, she is observing them and thinks, huh, it's really too bad that we're eating all their precious constructions. They gotta be mad at us or sad or something. So she gets an idea. Fraggles should no longer eat Dusa constructions. Of course, the other Fraggles are not on board with this because Dusa constructions are delicious. So she does something weird. She goes out and uh, gets this guy convincing John from out of a strange cave. Because he is a fraggle who can convince anyone to do anything, which is not creepy at all. Mm, I think that character is more than a bit problematic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, as long as he's using his powers for good, which can be argued that he is. Um, but... He convinces the Fraggles to uh, to stop eating Dusa buildings and take a cultish sacred oath that binds them for life to not eat Dusa buildings. Yeah, because that is apparently how it works in Fraggle Kingdom, that you can just make... Every single Fraggle can just make this random oath and then the Fraggles have to follow. Don't question the system, man. Clearly it works. I think this is like the Fraggle Kingdom is slowly wearing towards a suicide cult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying if one Fraggle's like hinted at suicide, they would have to go through with it. I mean, I guess they are slightly like lemmings. So. I really hope that's that's going to be the last episode. That's just collective suicide in the Fraggle Kingdom. Just running out over a cliff. Yes. <laughs> it would make sense. Um, but they take the pledge, and now uh, uh, Mook is happy because she thinks the Doosers are happy. The Doosers can now build everywhere without restrictions and competitions. They build everywhere and take up all the space. Mm-hmm. In other words, they have a monopoly on Fraggle Rock. Oh. Of course, the other Fraggles are furious because these fucking buildings are delicious and they can't eat them and they can't go anywhere because there's delicious buildings they can't eat everywhere. But they need Mookie to release them from the oath before they can eat any of them or do anything and she refuses. So big confrontation, big discussion. Mookie uh, goes to leave but then she overhears some of these deuces talking and they are not happy either. They're packing up to leave because there's no more place for them to build. Because apparently they must build to survive. And in their words, the fraggles have become heartless and stopped eating. Mm. So they have to leave. And Mookie realizes the errors of her ways and releases the fraggles. And everything is good again. Yes. And, and this is basically an analogy for a circular economy right yeah maybe we should hold off a bit on that uh, i can i could go off on a long ass tangent about and i think if if you want to go on a long ass tangent about this i think this is the space for it yeah like this podcast is the is the home for something like that and i think this this episode we can do the big economic talk mm. we've had the gender talk we should also address some yes. basic economic issues that ayn rand is Utterly and thoroughly misunderstanding all the time. I think it's about time to get a little factual up in here. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, get a bit more details and then uh, go way too deep into that. I love that. Let's go for it. Because we also have a little postcard from Uncle Traveling Matt. 
He finds a construction site and correctly identifies the workers as doozers. Then he tries to eat the construction and is very disappointed that it doesn't taste well. He doesn't like to eat metal. So Hank Reardon wouldn't like him. No, no, he actually, he thinks metal is disgusting. How fucking dare you? <laughs> yeah, nothing is better than a good piece of moist metal. And uh, in the human part of uh, the, the, the Fraggle Rock, where Doc and Sprocket are living, we have a continuation of a very problematic trend of <laughs> Doc mm, refusing to feed the dog. <laughs> this is wearing on animal abuse. Yeah. Like, someone should call the fucking animal police. or like. We are six episodes in, and, like, more than half of them have become about <laughs> this dog in denied food. It's also like disturbing. Doc is slowly getting more and more insane. Like now, sewing a button to an egg. Yeah, this man is bonkers. He's he's losing it. <laughs> and the dog is so Sprocket is so cute. I mean, uh, just it's heartbreaking. But I love I love when he feeds uh, inadvertently feeds the dog coffee beans, and you just see Sprocket going like completely mental. By the way. This man's way of grinding coffee is sitting with a hammer and coffee beans and just banging to the... I love that. That's how you introduced the episode, just having Doc smashing coffee beans with a hammer. And it's, the guy who's supposedly an engineer, right? I don't know what he is. But, yeah. It uh, doesn't really connect to much of anything except for some diary stuff because Doc keeps the most boring diary ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another installment in Animal Abuse Weekly. Yeah, I, I hope like halfway through the series, Doc will get Sprocket. Like Sprocket will go to a farm somewhere. You hope Sprocket will die? No, 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 not a like not a metaphorical <laughs> okay. farm, but an actual an actual farm away. From the, no, no. Oh, that would be. You can't okay. say that a dog has to go to a farm. Oh, no. I just realized what I said. No, 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 no. Post-rocket. I mean, it's, it's a matter of time before it does from lack of eating. He, he begins to look more and more anemic, so he begins to look better and better in the eyes of Iron Rand. Yeah, gaunt and yes. <laughs> jangling sack of bones. So she's getting moist slowly. Yeah. Oh, this dog has nothing but skin bones. It's so gangly. So gone, so many angular planes. But yeah, that's yeah. what happens. And, uh, well, we get a lot of doozer action this time around, mm-hmm. which means we get some really good industry porn, like close-ups of beams being made from powder and construction work. It's, I, I mean, the Randian crowd would go nuts for this. They could basically like film it in black and white and have like Soviet music to it, and it would be like a perfect workers' anthem. Yeah. Um, see, what I was really impressed about, but this is on a on a meta level, right? Is uh, so at one point, the Dusa Constructions takes over the entire Fraggle Cave. Yeah. They built a lot of fucking, and they must be made of like plexiglass or something like that. They build a lot of structures to make that scene happen. Oh, it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm extremely impressed with those doozles from a like from a technical production standpoint. But I'm also just thinking of the actual technical skill that went into making that episode happen. That's just yeah. I mean, how do, that is a lot. How do they even work? They're tiny and they walk around and <laughs> push carts and do all sorts of things, and it. It looks great. It looks amazing. 
So kudos to the Jim Henson team. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. It must have taken a lot of work to do this. <laughs> yeah. Also, the oh, the attention to detail when they have the... We didn't even mention the song mm. that Mookie does in the beginning of the episode where she just gets into this existential crisis and sings to, uh, sings to a worm. And they have the worm animate by a little string. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I mean, crawling along a structure. Oh, and apropos of that, I think we should uh, should talk about a little philosophy off, maybe. Yes. Because you um, both uh, discussed some basic existential uh, things, and I, I have I, I don't know which is deeper. I'm gonna go with Fraggle this time around. Yeah, let's just uh, hear some uh, some quotes. Uh, Francisco D'Anconio, the guy from Dagny's Love Story, who's also in this chapter. Shows up at the party. Yep. And uh, is engaged in a debate of whether nothing is anything or everything is something. So a uh, high level here. So that's, that's, that's the Danconian who thinks that nothing... No, he thinks everything is something. and Everything is something, right. And one of the guests thinks that nothing is anything. But that's his former teacher, right? Uh, some professor, at least... Yeah, I think he had another teacher, maybe. Because he had he had a like weird academic beef with that guy at some point. Yeah, it, it was very deep. But um, so this is what Mookie wonders: Why is there a world at all, and why do I ask why? Again, that's fuck. It's it's so <laughs> nihilistic for a fucking children's show. Yeah. <laughs> it's heavy, <laughs> heavy <laughs> stuff, and. <laughs> This is just the second verse of the of the song. Mm-hmm. It's a bit nonsensical, but I, I would like to just read it out aloud because Go for it. it basically sounds like what Dagny goes around saying at a party. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here I go again. Why do questions never end? What keeps calling all day long to me? Secrets come and go. I know we're not the only ones. Sometimes magic, sometimes only me. Wow. What is, I don't know what it means, but it makes a certain sense. Exactly. She has like, she has an existential crisis. And you can see that from minute one, where we get introduced to her. She's walking around in this cardigan that makes her look like something out of the Big Lebowski, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the exact same costume. <laughs> she just misses the fucking drink in order to be that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her dialogue is pretty much the same as well. Exactly. It's just the big Lebowski in the Fraggle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering, isn't she the most complex and three-dimensional character in both the show and the book? Uh, I would I would say yes. I mean, there's way more depth and nuance to her than anyone else, except maybe the trash heap. Also, this might be... This might oh the trash but this might be a deep a weird cut. So she has the cardigan, and I noticed because I just watched the episode. Mm-hmm. So under her cardigan is what appears to be maybe her fur, but a sweater in the exact same color that her fur is part. So is her fur a sweater? <laughs> because I just kept looking at that thing. I was like, is do you have a sweater on, or have you knitted a sweater out of your own fur? <laughs> Have you gone completely mental? <laughs> I think that's the that's the ticket. I think because she, she is an arty type, she's drawing very well and mm-hmm. being very philosophical and stuff. So she's probably knitting sweaters of her own hair. 
<laughs> that is a bit insane. I mean, she has beautiful hair. <laughs> she has a really good sweater, really good cardigan. But Purple and green nuances. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love her. Also, by the way, her whole let's not eat the structures. Mm-hmm. Is, this, is that just an allegory for veganism? I think it may be. Because you can you can take this one to one and just exchange that with veganism and it will work. Yeah, it's, it's the <laughs> vegan episode. We're dealing with big subjects here and layers upon layers of meaning. Oh yeah, entrenched in this episode. It's a really good episode, actually. Yeah, and it really displays a lot of economic stuff, mm-hmm. like uh, the need for regulated competition and uh, importance of uh, the circular flow of income. So should we get a bit into that, the economic side of things? Yeah, because money flows to workers in the form of wages and money flows back to the firms in exchange for products. That is the circle going back and forward and all the parts depending upon each other in this ecosystem that is the economy, mm-hmm. which is not understood at all in the Ayn Rand book. Yeah, because they freak out with the prospects of actual regulation of the free market yeah and, and, and free competition no no it must all be monopolies that is the way a healthy economy works and i love that all of this is coming from people who were born into money and they acknowledge this themselves at least in the, in the in the prior episode it's like draconian's wealth the family built up the wealth by 10 percent each time the family has its next generation so it's just it's basic math that this can't hold you can't just get richer and richer and richer sure you can it's called compound interest (laughs) literally they just have to do nothing and just returns on stocks and obligations it's also his like draconian uh, doesn't he suggest that he want to break the cycle by making that a hundred percent each cycle (laughs) I mean, don't listen to anything that man says. He is his uh, office rockers. <laughs> Fucking, but but I love that. Apparently, he. Oh, this is this is at least speculation from the characters in the book. But sure. he seems to, on purpose, have destroyed himself at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's a big mystery plot thing developing. I think where that's part of it, mm-hmm. and John Gold is part of it, and all this. Stuff with people quitting all the time. Because he goes he goes on a rant about how he basically, he is doing everything that is wanted of him, like creating a free market and actually paying back the workers and not working only for making profit, mm. which is really rational. <laughs> but, but all the characters... But of course, it's a trick. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because all the characters then freeze him out socially because how how dare he suggest these radical ideas of actually working for the betterment of the human race. This fucking book. I swear to God, this fucking book. <laughs> so, uh, do you want a, a little rant? I think we could go for a Randy rant in the Randy universe. Because uh, I have thoughts. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts in the economic... Um, Arguments made from both uh, Fraggle Rock and uh, Atlas Shrugged. I think I'll, I'll, I'll lean back and just uh, grab some popcorn yes. and, and enjoy the ride. I'll try to be as uh, angry as possible. Go for it. So producers and consumers are actually 
equally important for an economy to thrive, which is not what Ayn Rand is suggesting. Where she uh, just, oh, only the, the producers, the owners of the factory are worth anything. As one of her evil characters, or in this case, very stupid characters, according to Ayn Rand, says, if everybody else is poor, they won't have any market for their goods. Yes. Of course, set by a, a, a ditzy high society party girl with the air for brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the level. And Murky illustrates that it is easy to ruin an ecosystem with good intentions. It's parallel to if you remove the wolves from a forest, the deer population will grow out of control and they will destroy the forest, which is the same thing that happens with the deuces. The regulation is removed, so they just grow out of control, and it's bad for everyone, really. Mm -hmm. And Rand's argument is that only those that produce have any worth and are single-handedly keeping the world going. This is a complete misunderstanding of the complexity of any economic system. Owning a factory doesn't generate wealth or produce anything on its own. It takes workers to produce, and it takes consumers to make any money from it. They are all important parts of the system. You need supply and demand. This episode of Fraggle Rock shows us two important things. One. The economy grinds to a halt if consumers cannot consume. Both the fraggles and the deuces suffer when fraggles are prevented from eating constructions. In economic terms, if the population cannot afford to buy products, the manufacturers make no money from the sale of their products, and then they can't afford to hire workers to make the products. Or they pay the workers less, and then fewer people are able to afford the products that are being made. And this is actually a good argument for universal basic income. People can only buy products and keep the economy going if they actually have money. What Fraggle Rock shows and Muki inadvertently ruins is a perfect system where the basic survival needs of the population are covered and they are free to work in a manner that increases their happiness rather than make the general population wage slaves. The other point of the two. The need for regulated competition. If we consider the value of the space to live and function in Fraggle Rock, there's a natural regulation between Fraggles and Doozers. When the Fraggles are prevented from consuming the Doozer constructions, the Doozers get a monopoly on the space. This is, for instance, what happens when there's only one internet provider in an area. They can raise the prices and make a necessary utility prohibitively expensive. As another of Ayn Rand's evil characters say, a free economy cannot exist without competition. Wow. Wow. I, I want to clap, but I don't want to smack the microphone. I just want to get that off my chest. Exactly. My thoughts, Exactly. <laughs> but just so we so we all on the same page here, right? But it's just this is this is, and this is no offense to you. It it is it is it's a pretty basic logical step to take. Yeah, I mean that you need consumers and you need producers and 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 they need to exist in tandem for the system to actually work. I mean, I, I understand it, and I'm not an economist. I. I, I we're fucking librarian school graduates. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think the problem is, I think the problem 
It's such a, uh, it's an argument that has been threatened many times, but here it just comes to privileges. It is, it is clearly people who are born into wealth. The characters are born into wealth. I don't know about the background for Ayn Rand. Was she born into wealth? I can't remember whether we discussed this. I don't think so. I remember she's a Russian immigrant. Oh, yeah. Because, so because I, I think actually English is the second language, I think. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, she was just sitting with a thesaurus yeah, yeah. and just going through that thing. Angular planes? Sure, that sounds like a face. Sure, that sounds like a fucking word. <laughs> but, but so much of it is just blindness, like complete blindness to the world outside of their own system. Mm. So they just keep their own system going. And from that perspective, I can see a... Like I can see someone looking from inside a system, looking out, being like, but these people don't work as well as me or mm. these people are lesser than me because of reasons, reason X and Y. They work eight hours a day. I work 18. Clearly, I'm producing more. Than- exactly. But if you say something dumb like this, it's just you shouldn't be working 18 hours a day. <laughs> you should ensure that a lot of people are able to have a job instead of a few people just taking up all the job, taking up all the money, taking up all the resources. It does not make sense yeah. because you are you have to rely on these people to work feed into the system. The system doesn't work by itself. But it, but it, it seems like these fucking like preachers of the stock market has become so blinded to the fact that just we're has become slaves to the stock market in a way where that would be their only truth. But the stock market is nothing without the people working in the factories, without the like society around the fucking stock market. If the stock market is nothing, that's just our money, invented money. That's, yes. <laughs> that people that believe in that invented money just keep making bigger. Oh, I invented $100. Oh, I'll invent it 10% bigger. Whoa, we made money. Yeah, and when we get into that, it's basically... At this point, it's basically just because it's not people anymore hired to like place their bets at the stock market. It's just algorithms outpacing algorithms. It's just a system feeding into a system feeding into a system. Yeah, yeah. and buying and selling a share. Yes, parts of a circuit. But we're all we're all going to find out when the new financial crisis hits within one to two years, if if we're even that far away from it. <sighs> it's going to be rough. So it's it's going to be rough. <laughs> Some people are going to be in for a rude awakening. I mean, this is why we're getting this podcast off our chest now. Because in one or two years, we want to be able to afford spending our time doing this. Nope. And then then we can be the like better-knowing people just referring back to the podcast. And was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw Rome burning. Just yeah, called it. <laughs> and what did you do with it? We made a podcast. Right. <laughs> As you're supposed to. <laughs> oh. Hey, we did our part. We made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. But I'm reading this book because what's fucking interesting to me by reading this book is getting into the minds of people who are actually religiously following this yeah. nonsensical rationale. It is interesting. It's, it is sort of like reading a Bible. Both yes. in the in scope and uh, readability and uh, <laughs> preachiness. Because we, we we joked about it, but but it it is very much an economic bible with uh, maybe slightly more sex. Yeah, I don't know. Have you read the Bible? 
the Christian Bible? <laughs> right. The the Old Testament has some <laughs> some uh, moist parts. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But in that in that in that way, it is actually a somewhat beautiful book because it's very it's very pure in the way of expressing these terrible ideas. It's not beating around any bushes. No. It's very very direct and to the point. And for that, it's not. I wouldn't say it's it's a hard read because it's a long, heavy book. Mm. But in the sense, it's not hard to read because it's it's very straightforward. I mean, it is a bit hard to read because there's so many uh, useless words scattered all over the place. <laughs> yes, <laughs> someone must have made like an abridged version of this. Yeah, it's ten pages long. <laughs> it just reads like the quotes we have from each episode. It's it's just that. Hopefully, with some adjectives eliminated because there there are too many. I like the idea of us producing this podcast where it would be easier to just listen to the in the end it would be easier to just listen to the podcast we made than listening to this book it would be a shorter listen it's <laughs> gotta be close and as a bonus you get a lot of fractal nonsense exactly we can we can summarize two series in one that's how good we are <laughs> wow so should we get into the the other sections of this podcast Um, just one little uh, note I would like to make about the language because we get one piece of restraint from Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. She omits saying a word, which is the first time that has happened to her ever. Yeah. This is the quote. Hank, it is the first time you've invited that. He used an obscene word with unemotional precision. To my house, it is the last. What word did he say? That is right. And uh, like, if anything, she isn't against saying obscene words. No, I, 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 this just makes you also complete the worst things you can because when you don't get it. Mm -hmm. What did he say? Cunt? Fuckface? The N-word? <laughs> Maybe he said John Galt. <gasps> oh, he said uh, socialist. Yeah, oh, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag socialism kills. <laughs> yeah, hashtag socialism kills. So, uh, directly transitioning into uh, Fifty Shades? Yeah, let's do that. So, you have chosen a segment this time around. Yeah, it's uh, it's a conversation between Hank Reardon and uh, Francisco de Anconia, which uh, it gets weirdly flirting. Mm -hmm. This is the first time these two people talk, and they're, they're like what they're seeing but they still they play hard to get but uh Dagny better watch out because her two uh, two crushes are crushing on each other now mm -hmm. some good latent homoeroticism oh yes if you don't have some fancy investment in mind what did you want to meet me for in order to become acquainted with you that is not an answer It is just another way of saying the same thing. Not quite, Mr. Rian. Unless you mean, in order to gain my confidence? No, I don't like people who speak or think in terms of gaining anybody's confidence. If one's actions are honest, one does not need the predated confidence of others, only their rational perception. The person who craves a moral blank check of that kind has dishonest intention, whether he admits it to himself or not. 
Reardon's startled glance at him was like the involuntary thrust of a hand grasping for support in a desperate need. The glance betrayed how much he wanted to find the sort of man he thought he was seeing. Then Reardon lowered his eyes, almost closing them, slowly shutting out the vision and the need. His face was hard. It had an expression of severity, an inner severity directed at himself. It looked austere and lonely. All right, he said tonelessly. What do you want if it's not my confidence? I want to learn to understand you. What for? For a reason of my own which need not concern you at present. What do you want to understand about me? Francesco looked silently out into the darkness. The fire of the mills was dying down. There was only a faint tinge of red left on the edge of the earth, just enough to outline the scraps of cloud ripped by the tortured battle of the storm in the sky. Dim shapes kept sweeping through space and vanishing, shapes which were branches but looked as if they were fury of the wind made visible. It's a terrible night for any animal caught unprotected on that plain, said Francesco de Tronconia. This is when one should appreciate the meaning of being a man. Riordan did not answer for a moment. Then he said, as if in answer to himself, a tone of wonder in his voice, Funny. What? You told me what I was thinking just a while ago. You were? Only I didn't have the words for it. Shall I tell you the rest of the words? Go ahead. You stood here and watched the storm with the greatest pride one can ever feel, because you're able to have summer flowers and half-naked women in your house on a night like this, in demonstration of your victory over that storm. And if it wasn't for you, most of these who are here would have been left helpless at the mercy of the wind in the middle of some such plain. How did you know that? In time with this question, Reardon realized that it was not his thoughts that this man had named, but his most hidden, most personal emotion, and that he who would never confess his emotions to anyone had confessed it in his question. He saw the faintest flicker in Francisco's eyes, as of a smile or a checkmark. What would you know about a pride of that kind? Reardon asked sharply, as if the contempt of the second question could erase the confidence of the first. That is what I felt once, when I was young. Reardon looked at him. There was neither mockery nor self-pity in Francisco's face. The fine, sculptured plains of the clear, blue eyes held a quiet composure. The face was open, offered to any blow, unflinching. 
Why do you want to talk about it? Reardon asked, prompted by a moment's reluctant compassion. Let's just say, by way of gratitude, Mr. Reardon. Gratitude? To me? If you will accept it. Reardon's voice hardened. I haven't asked for gratitude. I don't need it. I have not said you needed it. But of all those whom you are saving from the storm tonight, I am the only one who will offer it. After a moment silent, Reardon asked, his voice low with a sound which was almost a threat. What are you trying to do? I am calling your attention to the nature of those whom you are working. It would take a man who has never done an honest day's work in his life to think or say that. The contempt in Reardon's voice had a note of relief. He had been disarmed by a doubt of his judgment on the character of his adversary. Now he felt certain once more. You wouldn't understand it if I told you that the man who works, works for himself, even if he does carry the whole wretched bunch of you along. Now I'll guess what you're thinking. Go ahead, say that. It's evil that I'm selfish, conceited, heartless, cruel. I am. I don't want any part of that tribe about working for others. I'm not. And on that note, a steamy love affair has been put to a pause. Oh, yes. And of course, Dagny is uh, listening along from a corner of the room and she is... Uh, Furiously masturbating. Oh, yeah. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> it's true. Just rubbing up in the corner. It's just Dagny. Dagny for you. Oh, my God. Probably with the bracelet, just rubbing it in. Is this right before or right after? This is right before she goes to exchange the bracelet, right? I think so. This must be what actually inspired her to do it. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, is, Frisco's face is now angular and blue-eyed. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he the Latin lover, South American guy? Shouldn't he have, <laughs> have dark eyes? And why... And Hank has, Hank has just been described as Maybe. angular and blue-eyed. Did she just mix the two up? Listen to these two descriptions and guess who is who. The fine sculptured planes and the clear blue eyes held a quiet composure. And the sharp planes, the pale blue eyes, the ash-blonde hair had the firmness of ice. I mean, we just read it aloud, but still, yeah, who is who there? I would say the first one is Draconian, and the second one is Hank. Yeah, but it's close, right? The, the, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, basically, right. He's, he's basically talking to a mirror here. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess that's why he's so turned on. Oh, I, I hope there will be a like steamy hot gay scene halfway into the book with us, too. Fingers crossed. Otherwise, you can write it. Yes, yes. I, I think sooner or later we have to get into fan fiction anyway. This must be this. There must be a lot of fanfic written about this, and I think it could be wonderful to do a whole episode where we just read a fanfic. Yeah, and or just sneak quotes in from fan fiction and see if anyone notices. No one would notice. Just to have one of our uh, Fifty Shades of Gold be fanfic. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Yes. 
And with that in mind, shall we head into the wokeness sector? Because I think we... Uh, I think uh, we're right on time for that. Interesting, <laughs> interesting things to say this time around. Yeah, there are some tasty quotes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, dig this nugget of gold. Take it away. The diamond band on the wrist of her naked arm gave her the most feminine of all aspects. The look of being chained. I am not kidding. <laughs> When I heard that thing, I was in my car and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I actually, because I have a, I have an Apple CarPlay thing, so I can like skip uh, through my things mm. without <laughs> driving uh, too weirdly. So I just, I just skipped back 30 seconds, listened to that thing again. I was like, mm. I ended up skipping back four times listening to that thing. was like, was that actually a thing in this book? And uh, you want another one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of get it. She had never objected. She had never refused him anything. She submitted whenever he wished. She submitted in the manner of complying with the rule that it was at times her duty to become an inanimate object turned over to her husband's use. Yep. 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 Oh so I think this is the episode, if we haven't already gotten into it, I'm a bit... Uh... I don't even know at this point. But have we got into the like, whole weird BDSM subset of issues? In the, or not issues, but, but BDSM tracks in this book? I think uh, that's your department. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> because like, clearly some of the women here, especially Daphne, are uh, basically uh, very submissive. Mm. Uh, and the way they're talking about the women is that it's natural in this universe for them to submit to the men. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the point, yeah. And even to the point where, and, and the, the second one was Hank Reardon's wife, she just accepts this, the fact that all men are pigs, and she's not even turned on by the fact that she has to submit to her husband. But it's just natural in this universe that you just have to lay back and submit to her husband. Mm. And no, not even one other two people enjoy this sexual interaction. Oh no. It's just him performing his sexuality on her and being ashamed of it at the same time. Yeah, none of this is healthy. No, no, no. Just no. listen to this is Hank Reardon's uh, feelings about uh, sexuality and women. His hatred of his own desire had made him accept the doctrine that women were pure and that a pure woman was incapable of physical pleasure. Fuck. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck, fuck that. Your regular reminder, this was written by a woman. Exactly. Why the fuck would a, would a woman of her right mind write something this regressive about women? Capitalism, my boy. This shit sells like gay. What bastards. the fuck? That is like graving your own grave. That does not make sense. This is no. I should not have no. My entire gender should not have the right to express ourselves sexually. This is so fucking regressive. Oh, we can't feel physical pleasure at all. <laughs> Fuck, fucker for that fucking quote. Oh, it hurts. Yes, it physically hurts to read that. So let's let's move on to something yes. lighter, like the Bechdel tests. Oh yes. Do to. to Female characters with names talk about anything other than men. No. No. But <laughs> but this time in Atlas Shrugged we came close. 
is the closest we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Because Lillian welcomes Dagny to the party. Oh. Had Dagny only had the time to respond, they would have had a conversation about something other than a man. But she immediately starts talking to James Taggart instead and ruins it completely. Of course, because he's a man. But we got one line. <laughs> We got a fragment of a conversation that passed the Bigtail test. <laughs> so close. What about in the Fraggle universe, by the way? Ah, it's not better. Mookie takes Red along to find this uh, convincing John. Mm-hmm. So they go on a trip to female characters, but do they talk about anything other than the man? No. No, they talk about John. Because I was I was also looking forward to having an entire Mookie episode and was like, okay, so now this must pass the Bechdel test, right? Mm. Nope. It doesn't. I think it's the first scene with just two female characters going off on their own, and of course they can't focus on anything other than men. Yeah, this problematic character of a reverend. <sighs> but yeah, we, we haven't really discussed him. I have, I have something to say about him. He's clearly a cult leader. Oh, he's more than that. And also a like, snake oil salesman. He's more than that. I have some, uh, some get your okay, tinfoil okay. head out here. Yeah. Okay, I am, I, I am ready. I am I'm going down the rabbit hole. Clasping my hands to the edge of the table, leaning into the microphone and listening. Okay, so we're asking the question, who is convincing John Gold, maybe? Is he John Gold? Ha-ha. Or is he even more than that? So, when he gets out... And gets to convincing. He does a weird country rap routine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But do you know who uh, that sounds completely like when he's uh, going off? Mm-hmm. Do you know uh, the Eurodance hit from the 90s, I'm the Scatman? Yes, Scatman John. The verses there sound exactly like this. I, I actually checked whether he had uh, provided the, the voice for that character. <laughs> Because, and again, Scatman John. So we're getting a bit further here. So is is Scatman John, John Gold? Well, here comes the final piece of the puzzle. Yes. Because I looked up Scatman John, and do you know what his name is? His real name? Because, spoiler, he was not a christened Scatman. <laughs> it is also a very unlucky name these days. <laughs> yeah. It has taken on a different meaning. <laughs> oh, it has. So, <laughs> but well, his name is John Paul Larkin. What? Paul Larkin is the weird, friend-hungry, uh, weirdo guy from many chapters back. What? In the book. So here's the question. Is Paul Larkin the real John Gold? Did I just blow the roof off this thing or what? My mind is blown. <laughs> wow, that is three steps of insane, but I love it. <laughs> I've gone out all the yarn and doing my conspiracy board. <laughs> I'm sitting in my bunker with my tinfoil hat. And your serial killer wall where you just strung it all together. And I'm just singing, Ski-de-pop-be-de-pop, <laughs> Yep. I think I think this was a this was a good light note to get out of the fucking yeah. disgusting cesspool that was the was the wokeness. Yeah, chapter. I think we needed that. And then let's get into the awards just to keep it light. Yes, keep it light. Keep it cheerful. Get all that icky stuff away. 
I actually didn't find that many uh, really fraglian sentences in the Ayn Rand this time around. No? My two candidates are, my name is Belf. <laughs> it sounds like a fraglian thing. Yes, it does. It's the, it's the forgotten sixth member of the Fraggle Five, as they call themselves. <laughs> Balf, yes, yes. I just like the idea of Balf actually existing in Fraggle Universe, who so just waltz in with his cultural elitism in the Fraggle Universe and be like, this song is not culturally appropriate. <laughs> uh, it makes sense, I think. Yes. And then there's this one. You know, I think that only if one feels immensely important can one feel truly light. And Dagny says it, but it also kind of sounds like something Mookie would say. Mookie could say it, but I still think, like, my name is fucking Bob. <laughs> also, just to pay respect to fucking Bellevue Bank, which, by the way, is his name. Fucking <laughs> Bellevue Bank is an amazing name. Bellevue Bank. <laughs> and an amazing character. In my notes, I wrote many exclamation points after that. Balf, you bank. Oh, yes. Favorite character. Oh, yeah. Of the entire book. So, most Randian sentences. Yes. Here is a very special private secret thought. Mm-hmm. And that's Duck. Here's another one from Duck. What do you mean, why? I haven't even figured out how yet. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I think that's a quote from Francisco D'Anconia in an earlier chapter, actually. <laughs> yes. And uh, boy, the way those little fellows build is just amazing. I think that that is very Randian. But when it comes to the little builders, it will always be super Randian about them. Yeah, uh, that's murky. And the final one is also murky, mm-hmm. which uh, I think this one is, a, is the winner. Yes. The more I think about it, the more I know I'm right. That is Dagny. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that is just Dagny. <laughs> Literally, cool. Yeah, I think I'm a fucking genius. Yeah, I, I, I've given it a lot of thought, and I'm a fucking brilliant genius. <laughs> Turns out I'm a brilliant genius. Yes. That is the most Randian sentence. <laughs> oh, that, that's a companion quote from uh, from <laughs> Hank Reardon in that. Yes. And by the way, that, that sentence won, right? Yes, of course. So let's go to best phrases and the companion quote. Mm-hmm. But in the next instant, he reminded himself that he was sane and that this was not possible. <laughs> so just what any sane person does, regularly remind themselves that they are sane. Yes. I do it all the time. Who's saner than me? I just, that, that's what I do. I wake up every morning being like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm sane. That's how I wake up. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm still sane. Exactly. I almost forgot. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. And next one. In the line of his glance, from the fingertips of her one hand to her face, her body was naked but for his metal bracelet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fifty Shades of what? Fifty Shades of Moist Metal. Yeah. Here's, I'll just give the, the beginning of the sentence. Uh, Reardon looked at the untidy figure slouched against the bar. Is that Scudder of the Future? He asked, pointing. I just really remarked Scudder of the Future. <laughs> it sounds like a sci-fi uh, thing. Yes, it does. It sounds like Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This refers to the character of Bertram Scudder. 
because all the names are insane. <laughs> we also meet uh, Claude Schlagenhop and Dr. Pritchett. <laughs> uh, one more. Yes, 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 one more. Man, what is man? A collection of chemicals with delusions of grandeur. See, I rem- I remembered that sentence, and I found that to be quite a quite a wonderful sentence. That is Dr. Pritchett, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be on my uh, gravestone. I also think, because have we talked about, maybe we could get into that in an episode, of the overlap between the ideology in Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged and the video game Bioshock. Because this is basically just out of Bioshock. <laughs> the last one, mm-hmm. a personal favorite. Only in the wastelands, only in Europe. Yes, 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 yes. Winner. Yes, only in the wasteland, only in Europe, of course. Poor, poor Europe. And as Europeans, we can attest this is a wasteland. (laughs) This is the people's state of Denmark, and it's a socialist nightmare. Nothing works. It's a socialist nightmare. Literature is subsidized by the government. Government. Universities are subsidized by the government. It is all going to shit. Uh, Okay, so we have the UK that is currently going to the shit. But other than that... (laughs) They don't count. Uh, And Poland. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Hungary. And Austria. (laughs) And kind of Germany. And Uh, Let's not talk about that. Denmark is working fine. Uh, uh, Okay. Okay, it's a wasteland. You got it. So let's move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best phrase in Fraggle Rock. I have to. Mm-hmm. It's been three days and all I've had to eat is food. <laughs> oh, yeah, I Good old Gobo Fraggle. Because he can, he can eat the yeah. structures. That sounds awful. <laughs> Truly horrible. And another horror sentence from Boober. Laundry as we know it is a thing of the past. Yeah, and they actually do. They just—they're missing the do 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 because they're zooming into his face, and he's just shaking because he can't do laundry. <laughs> oh, I like Booba. Fucking love him. Good guy. I think I, th- I think it's the laundry one. That's just—it's an amazing one. Yeah, and it keeps keeps us updated on the ongoing love story between Booba and laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just see him like five episodes in, like being very. Moist in a laundry pile. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's just doing laundry to hide his moistness. So many so many dirty socks from that guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so best character. Yes. Okay, from Adler Shrugged, I would personally uh, nominate uh, Bellevue Bank. Oh, but hands down, you, you get that nomination from me too. Like, fuck yes. It's probably going to be him, but I would also like to just uh, yes. um, recognize Betty Pope, mm-hmm. the ditzy uh, blonde uh, society girl who is very insightful about yeah, yes. economy just... and whom, I mean, Ayn Rand is just hating so much on her. Every chance she gets, mm-hmm. she's just putting her down. Like, oh, Betty Pope giggled at something she remembered. <laughs> and Betty Pope said aggressively in the tone of an expert on economics. <laughs> As if we're supposed to find it ludicrous what she's saying, and of course she's saying, <laughs> saying. I uh, could see Betty Pope being a real life character that 
Ayn Rand got into a discussion at a party with, like in real life. Oh, yeah. And her just remembering that. She's just been writing down quotes from this girl she hates. Exactly. See what kind of obscene things she says. And then when normal people read those quotes, they'll be like, yeah, that's, that's pretty sound. I'm, what are you talking about? Exactly. And the, the, the last one I would just like to recognize is the unseen Viking pirate, because for a character that doesn't even show up, he really makes a splash. He, he makes me re-evaluate the entire book. Also, I, I really hope that we get to see him again. Part of me really hoped that, and part of me really hopes that this was just a weird <laughs> side plot that never goes anywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that and the Atlantis thing. Mm -hmm. It could either be very important to the book, or it could just be Iron Rand having a seizure. <laughs> yeah, just oh, maybe it's just remnants of another book <laughs> that she never got around to write. <laughs> it's just a pitch for another book. Exactly. It's a backdoor pilot. So in that way, she was a brilliant person, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Just doing pilots within pilots. I, I like that. Yeah, she's on another level. <laughs> Three-dimensional chess. I really I really love the idea of us, like two-thirds in the book, just realizing she's actually a genius. <laughs> I really hope that revelation comes at some point. I don't think it will, but I really hope that will come. <laughs> no oh, you're not getting convinced? You're not becoming a libertarian? <laughs> not even close. You're not buying what Miss Rand is selling? Uh, No, no. She has to be a bit more convincing mm. and a bit less nonsensical. <laughs> Don't count on that happening anytime soon. No, she's just getting more and more insane and I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, but um, best character, I guess it should go to Bellevue, Bellevue Bank, Bank because I'm afraid we may not see him again. And uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that... that we, Bellevue Bank, we hardly knew. He. Yeah, but... You you tore you tore them a new one and I love it. Yeah, you stole our hearts. Yes. Shout out <laughs> to that wonderful man. And best character in Fraggle Rock. Yes. Convincing John or Mookie. Convincing John. Like that has to be. Also, really made a splash. He really did. And may not be back because he's too powerful. And may have created ripples upon ripples in both universes and in our universe too. Oh, he may be responsible for that time rift that sent the pirate <laughs> Viking into the 50s. Oh, I'm saying something here. We have something. Convincing Paul Larkin. And we should remember next time we see Paul Larkin. Well, imagine a, a big black mustache and him country rapping all his... And a gospel choir of yeah, three people. With some fabulous backup singers. Yes. Yeah, really, uh, we didn't get trashy, but we did get some... <laughs> we did get some three wonderful drag queens. Yeah. And that's perfect. And apropos of the trash heap... Exactly. We have a new category that we introduced last time called Most Trashy Advice. Yes. And I have one candidate from each. Yes. It wasn't that easy to find. Mm -hmm. But we'll see how this goes. Yes. Okay. It is useless to worry or to blame anyone. Nobody can help what he does. That is the way things made him. There's nothing we can do about anything. Yes, that is a that's a good. And also, you gotta eat a Dusa Tower because the tower really wants you to. That is straight up a trashy advice. Yeah, it, it's it's convincing John saying it, but I think the they maybe maybe there's a connection between the two. Maybe they. I think they're in cahoots, and and the connection is the drag queens. 
Ja, yeah, I mean, they're both, both sort of uh, snake oil salesmen. <laughs> yep. Dry, with drag queens and, and shoddy advice. So I think they are. I think they're on point. They have uh, they have a business cut out for them, and I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, maybe they used to be like a double act, and they split up because they both had too big an ego. <laughs> exactly. It was it was a Bunny and Clyde adventure. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. On that note, we should find a, a title for this episode. Yeah. I I want to. Who is convincing John? I I maybe that. I want to. I still want to go with a one quote summary from Atlas. Just plot is a primitive vulgarity in literature. <laughs> I think that is it's, a fucking good sentence. Too good to waste. Yes. <laughs> That's got to be it. So that's got to be it. And uh, until next time, this was a hell of a lot of fun and excruciating. So I'm going to go lie down. <laughs> it was painful and, uh, and uh, joyful. Uh, see you next time. Bye. This podcast is produced by Mørnegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is Mørnegale with two A's up front, .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned. To the madness. <laughs>